Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fourth episode of Behind the Ned podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and joined beside me, as always, is... I am your co-host, Matthew. And we have quite a bit to talk about, uh, some big news. Uh, big, big news. We've been... Uh, I wouldn't say we've been expecting it, but uh, we didn't foresee it coming this soon. It's, I mean, of course the news, let's just get it out there. Mike Babcock has been fired by the Toronto Maple Leafs and Sheldon Keefe has replaced him as the head coach. And um, yeah, like we talked about last week that um, maybe it wasn't the right time or, or maybe the the, the, co- the coaching market wasn't really available, like open for... There weren't many options for a coach. Obviously, Sheldon Keefe was the obvious option, but I didn't really see it as something that was necessarily needed. But then again, I looked at it with the perspective that the Leafs were all were already slumping hard. Yep, they were they were slumping so hard. What's the worst can happen? What's the worst that could happen? Like Mike Babcock, um, if he continues coaching and they slump, that's a possibility. If they replace him. Sheldon Keefe could make the Leafs slump as well, or it, the Leafs could continue slumping. I mean, but um, or there's the potential that his that coaching change could bring the benefit of wins, and it really comes down to that. You know, um, I guess the benefits of a coaching change outweigh the risk of keeping it put. Yeah, and I think we saw from uh, two different games uh just with this week tuesday and last night's game just uh the different vibe that i was getting from the teams just not only from the way that they were playing but uh the emotions they were sh- expressing uh for for anything uh that was happening uh you remember when uh, tyson berry scored his uh, first of the mm-hmm. season the bench was looking ecstatic and uh, Sheldon Keefe was giving a little smirk. Same mm-hmm. thing with Pierre Engvall's first. Almost uh, as big as when uh, Ben Simmons hit that three last night. Right? <laughs> Philadelphia went crazy. You just, you love to see it. Yep, you love to see uh, the un- the impossible become possible. Of course. Um, but yeah, like, I don't remember seeing the Leafs uh, playing the way that they were playing. Maybe it's because of the fact that they got a new coach, but I think for a good percentage of the team, because of the fact that... Uh, Sheldon Keefe was their coach with the Marlies. There was that experience and that comf- being comfortable. And I think that it, they really fed off of it. And <clears throat> you saw a complete, I want to say like this, you saw a completely different team Thursday night to, compared to Tuesday. Like the mood, not only for the fan base, from the team themselves, was very somber after they lost to Vegas. Like, oh, uh, it's another loss and well, the same things are happening, whatever. I'm not going to lie. Like going to Vegas... Um, I I did not have high hopes. I, I I was like, something tells me the Leafs are gonna lose this game, and 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 Leafs Nation are it was already in shambles, and and something told me like, well like it it nothing's gonna change. But even if we pick up a win, it's it's not gonna fix everything. And I really went into that game with the somber attitude as well. Um, and I think all Leafs fans did, and unfortunately they lost, and it kind of pushed the obviously the Leafs over the top and Mike Babcock's ultimate demise but um it, it's been hard it's been very hard yeah and like I, I I'll say this I don't think I was really excited going into that game like oh it's the there's a Leaf game on tonight cool I have to I have to go to work it's at that point yeah and compared to, to last night there was genuine excitement that I hadn't felt for a regular season game in years like I'm very excited to see what this team can do under a new direction with new uh, instructions 
and first first so far so good i'm really was really impressed and i think that brings me back to the point i was trying to make that um i think the potential of reaping those benefits of a coaching change was what what it's what really mattered rather than you know keeping babcock i think everyone was kind of seeing it as um you know like something you don't want to risk like at, at that point you just don't care anymore yeah at, at that point like you need some sort of change and in that way I, I do think that the coaching change was necessary i mean it's there's a di- difference when i say necessary and needed mm-hmm. because yeah they could have rolled with mike babcock but i think that potential to you know have everything change and just the potential um to bring in some something new to the to the dressing room to the whole situation was uh something that was necessary yeah, because uh, I think dating back to uh, the start of the season when uh, Jason Spezza was healthy scratched, I think there's been a disconnect from the Leafs to the head coach. And I think that not it's not simply just this year, but it's been going on for a while. Like that's It's not healthy when the head coach personally makes a trip to Arizona to meet with the franchise player mm-hmm. about uh, smoothing things over. That's... There was that was not there's not something uh, that you would say is a healthy relationship, mm-hmm. and the uh, the subtle jabs that Babcock was giving to Dubis. Uh, remember last season when uh, Lee got Muzzin, he was like he shoots uh, he doesn't shoot right, or how about uh, the game against Chicago where Babcock said Matthews played too much. There's basically, I think it's pretty clear. I'm not going to confirm it, but. It seems to me that there is a disconnect between the Leafs and the coach, and the Leafs potentially were tanking this season just to get Babcock uh, out of the room. And I think because of that, in the end, I think the coaching change was needed. I didn't see think it at first before Wednesday, but seeing all the reports coming out, seeing all the players not even being subtle about how happy they are mm-hmm. that keeps the, the head coach, I think it was... Uh, I think there was no better time to do it than then. Do you think um, the do you, like like you said tanked? Do you think the Leafs tanked to kind of get Mike Babcock out, or do you think he just lost the room? I think that's a question for uh, everybody to ponder. Um, I think it's a, probably a bit of both. Like probably the Leafs uh, weren't interested in his message of playing defensive hockey when they're a team that likes to uh, keep the puck and uh, try and uh, generate offense. Especially when you have guys like Tyson Berry, Morgan Riley, and Justin Hall, and even Travis Dermott on your back end. There's not a kind of team that uh, will thrive in the kind of uh, system that Babcock is trying to preach, which is uh, a grinding it out. And like, let's truth be told, I think the Leafs wouldn't mind playing a defensive style of hockey, but it has to be in a way that benefits their God-given talent of being able to fly all over the zone and uh, just prevent... The opposition from generating any sort of uh, quality scoring chance definitely and um like it kind of brings me back to the point of uh like like the whole tanking uh, kind of how you how you mentioned it mike babcock i feel like he lost the room earlier than that sixth game mm-hmm. um nobody wants to lose six games straight nobody wants to lose five games straight nobody wants to lose four games straight and i feel like that's even when they lost the room because you have a you have a room full of players who are so used to success yeah especially that's something that we uh everyone's been bringing up with tyson berry he's he knows success and he has not had success this season and and you can tell like he he does not want with all those rumors about 
and he didn't necessarily ask for a trade but you know that he would want to play his contract out somewhere else if if the season continued to go downhill these players are so used to success that when you're slumping that hard um and, and things just aren't changing i'm pretty sure you lose you like babcock would lose the room even like three four games in and from there it's just adding on to the adding salt to the wound really here's my question for you if the fact of the matter that the Leafs uh, were never really uh, on the same page as Babcock this season, maybe even going back to last season, do you think they should have fired him uh, during the off season? Because remember those 11 days where Kyle Dubas didn't give uh, Babcock the seal of approval that he's going to be the coach for mm-hmm. a while? Or was uh, doing it midseason uh, the right call? You know, I, 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 I was saying this last season when we were heading into the playoffs when the Leafs were heading into the playoffs against Boston I said this is the year the Leafs have to make it out of the playoffs uh, like out of the first round yeah yeah um or I did think Mike Babcock would have been fired I didn't think he needed to be fired but I did think um you know last season was such a good season and to essentially lose to the Boston Bruins again in the first round I mean, you're built like this and you can't get out of the first round. Something needs to change. It's just, it's it's been three years in a row. And uh, what, you want to make it four years, right? No, you want to change something. So I, I did think they, they should have let him go in the offseason. And um, props to Mike Babcock because he's nothing but a, a class act. Nothing but a class act. And, um, of course, he's done so much for Toronto. He's really changed the culture, really turned it around. And it, it is hard to see him go in this way. I feel like yeah. if uh, the Leafs just let him go in the in the in the summer, it would have been a way less of a mess than it is now. And, and I mean that's obvious, but I don't think Mike Babcock deserved that as well. Well, yeah, I I, I agree with that. Uh, I remember tweeting just after uh, he got fired that uh, he did a lot of great things for the franchise um, and brought the team from uh, a complete laughingstock to. Uh, a team that expects to be playoff contenders year after year. And you, you can't uh, deny that, that these uh, last four years and change uh, have been uh, very uh, positive for uh, the, the growth of this team. But we're getting to, we got to that point where the message got stale. The players were tuning him out. Some things, things were not progressing. Mm-hmm. And we felt, I felt like a ceiling was hit. And at the least want to break through that ceiling and go even higher. Mm-hmm. They have to move on and have a different voice directing them towards uh, where they want to be. And I think in the end, it took the Leafs maybe 23 games too long for this to for this realization to come. But it's better late than never. I love how you put it with the ceiling analogy. Um, like, yeah, basically, he really did build the Leafs up, and up to this point. But the Leafs want to exceed those um, that ceiling. And at this point, I do think there was just a conflict of, you know, play styles, you know, what Babcock wants and what the Leafs want and how they want to play and how Mike Babcock obviously wants to coach in a very certain way with very certain, very specific decisions. And ultimately, um, love you, Babcock. Thanks for everything. But I guess it was time. And especially when guys like Ron Hainsey, Connor Brown, uh, Nikita Zaitsev are being shown the door in different ways. 
I think it should have been pretty clear that Kyle Dubas was placing his stamp on the team and building the team the way that he wants to play. And Mike Babcock, coach, wants to coach his team a certain way. And those views were never going to really align. And I think it makes sense why Sheldon Keefe was going to be the successor whenever Babcock was uh, shown the door. And like as we've been talking about earlier, it's only been one game, but the fruits are already being shown. And it's really encouraging mm-hmm. what we've been seeing from this new look Leafs. It's, like I said, a completely different team. And I'm just really excited to see how this team plays going forward. And let's that moves right into the next question. Um, obviously, Dubas has his man now. He's built the team the way he wants, and now he has the coach that he wants. Um, the coach that he basically handpicked from junior hockey. Um, how has he looked so far in that one game? How how much of a difference did you see between um, the game against Vegas and then last night's game? And honestly, like it's, it was night and day. Yeah, that's definitely the best way of putting it, uh, and I would say the exact same thing. I think when you look at uh, the way the Leafs were playing on Tuesday, it was very tense, very they're very rigid and like very fragile. Like you saw how Leafs were playing in how seven or eight straight games where they allowed the first goal. And that would be because oh they're playing very well, like uh, generating offense, but uh, a very a miscue, a, a mental lapse, uh, defensive breakdown, and then all of a sudden they're in the same position that they were the, the previous game, and their confidence levels deteriorated, and that's exactly what happened on Tuesday, playing basically keep up the entire time. It it gets to you mentally, and that I think that we saw that reach the pinnacle especially when you consider what was happening on Saturday, like that demoralizing loss. Um, then you see on on Wednesday when and then Thursday during the team practice, the Leafs looked very comfortable. There was a lot of smiles, a lot of uh, positive vibes. You saw Travis Dermott before the game saying uh, that he's a coach that you want to play for. Mm-hmm. And that's an early sign that the Leafs were in a much better state of mind. So many of... So many of the Leafs are Marlies, coached by um, Keith. And I was actually just looking at this um, uh, um, uh, article by James Myrtle for The Athletic. Yep. Um, well, I'm looking at the tweet, and he said, um, source, nine, about 90% of the Leafs were relieved to see Mike Babcock go. But I think, in part, it's not just about Mike Babcock going, but it's about Sheldon Keith arriving. And I think, right now, Keith has the room. Like, he has all their attention and I, I I'm I'm just curious where he'll go with this um like you said it was it was a complete difference players are looking bright now mm-hmm. um how do you think uh he fared I guess last night I think he uh couldn't have ha- asked for a better uh, first game uh, with his new team um like I was saying the the entered the pot the vibe was really well uh, I think the players had a really good uh, energy and you saw the passion for every big goal that was scored uh Tyson Berry the bench was ecstatic mm-hmm. same thing with uh, Pierre Engvall and after the after he got to the bench uh they're giving him pats on the back and saying good job and then Austin Matthews when he scored his uh his goal um you saw the big weight lifted off his shoulder because he hadn't scored a goal on the road in so long although would you really count Arizona as the on the mm-hmm. road um he looked really happy. And I think that's just basically 
the sum of all parts. Everyone looked happy. They were playing the way that they they wanted to play. And like I said, you couldn't have asked for a better uh, first game for Sheldon Keefe. And because of the fact that he's so young, like 39 years old, the players can relate to him more. And he can uh, really understand what they need to get to the level that they want to be. And Thursday's game was a prime example of how he's going to make adjustments on the fly. And I hope we see more situations where they start the game with Barry Riley uh, as a a defensive pairing and then making adjustments based on uh, what's going on in the game. For sure. And um, hockey's in a weird state right now of old school transitioning into new school. And I think the Leafs are the face of that transition. And um, exactly what you said, like Sheldon Keefe, is is the person to push that new school mentality on the young Leafs, and um, I mean, I I want to know like what did you think of the lines again? Like, Keith Keith he didn't even shy away from mixing up the lines mm-hmm. his very first game. He's ready to try out things. And and um, first I want to know what you think of the lines uh last night. Well, what was it? The Matthews line was untouched, so that wasn't a surprise. Mm-hmm. I think. Trying Hyman on his natural position was a breath of fresh air. Hyman had always been a left winger for as long as 2016. So that was a good thing to try out. And Mikheyev getting an opportunity. And I think he definitely passed that test with flying colors because he got two assists. I think Mikheyev has uh, top six potential. Um, He's good slotting in for Mitch Marner right now. Um, I do feel a little bad for John Tavares who would like a, a bit more skilled winger. Uh, but, you know, he's making it work. And I think Mikheyev works out there really well. Um, I don't know if I don't I don't I personally would continue to try sh- shuffling up the lines a bit. Yeah. And it's going to take a few games. Um, I feel like maybe maybe putting captain in there, seeing how it runs again um, under this new system might work with uh, Keefe as coach. But I uh, it's going to take a while, but it looked good. Jason Spezza looks like a legitimate third he looked like a third line center and Babcock didn't even want to play him as a fourth line center on and Sunday. he looked genuinely happy he's a guy that for years has been known for being always having a smile on his face mm-hmm. I barely saw that when he during the last days of the Babcock I mean, era you could tell that I, w- I won't say the Babcock didn't like Spezza but um he he did not make good decisions pertaining to Spezza and I mean of course that's going to create a rift that's yeah. going to create a rift um, between the coach and Spezza or Spezza and the Leafs in general. Yeah. And um, he was unhappy. It's not hard to see that night and day difference. Exactly. Going back to Mikheyev for a second, uh, I think the fact that he was getting that chance with the Tavares line is a ch- an opportunity for him to demonstrate that he can be a very a versatile forward akin to Kapanen, where you can play in the top six and the bottom six just as comfortably and you'll thrive in either or situation and i think the leafs need more players like that because it's valuable yeah in the event of an injury or if an in-game adjustment where one player is not playing so well and the other one's playing uh above expectations you can swap either or and get one player going and or put the other player in uh, higher pressure situations where they can thrive and i think it really comes down to being like I said, versatile. Versatility is huge in hockey. You need more players who can uh, move up and down the lineup uh, at any given notice because making those in-game adjustments are the difference between winning and losing. 
Exactly. And um, just going off those line changes, the, I think the biggest one we saw was he put Riley and Barry together to yeah. start off the game, especially. And um, like, what do you think about that? Like, I know so many fans have been wanting either to put them together on the power play or do something to get Tyson Barry going. And, and Sheldon Keith, he was ready. He was ready to just try it out. And um, I wouldn't say it worked just because of that, but Tyson Berry, I, maybe it's a confidence thing. I really do think it's a boost of confidence for him, which is all. It's so it's so important. And um, he he scored like that's that's the best result that Sheldon Keefe could hope for. Yep. And the fact that uh, Keefe put Barry on the first privately unit with Riley, Tavares, Matthews, and Nylander, that tells a player, I trust you. I think you can be put in a high-pressure situation and you're going to succeed in that position. And the fact that he started the game with Riley is another te- is tes- is testament to that. Like, I trust you to be put to be on the ice against other teams' top players, and I think you can be a successful player. And I think for Barry, that gives him motivation and gives him the idea that he can become the player mm-hmm. that the Leafs brought him in for. Because Nazem Kadri was no small price to pay to get him and uh, Kerfoot on the team. And for the first 23 games, we haven't seen that. And we finally saw that on Thursday. And I hope we see that more. Here's a question for you. Um, let's say those rumors were true that Tyson Berry, if, if the season doesn't go well for him, that he doesn't want to be moved or, or see him play his contract out somewhere else. Do the Leafs um, hold on to Barry? Um, and then my my my, my second question, um, kind of a two-parter, is um, or do the Leafs roll with Riley Barry for more, or like do, does Sheldon Keith continue? I think uh, just basically if Barry what had to be moved before his contract was up, he'd go down as the most disappointing uh, Leafs tri- addition in. Uh, of this of this uh, millennium, it really would. And it, and if even if we don't move him, even if the Leafs don't move him, and um, you know he plays out his contract, but he doesn't have a very good season. He has a disappointing season playing at the pace he's been playing. It it would still be seen as a very very bad trade. Yeah, and uh, I really think that uh, going forward, I think Barry will get more minutes. He will might likely play alongside Muzzin mm-hmm. again because that was the pairing that Babcock envisioned would be a very successful pairing. It's it's balanced. You got a defensive defenseman and you got an offensive defenseman. Exactly. Essentially. Exactly. And they're both playing on their natural positions. And when both players are going, that's a uh, probably the Leafs' best defensive pairing. No disrespect to Morgan Riley, mm-hmm. but that's a pairing that uh, will give oppositions nightmares of trying to contain them in both ends. What do you think of the offensive defenseman, offensive defenseman pairing of Riley Barry that um, Keith is running? I, th- right I like, it. I, like I, it. I like it. And here's why. Is it sustainable? Well, I wouldn't use it all the time. I would use it more when you're desperate for offense. So it's Be- not, it's not a permanent pairing. I would, I think that both players will recognize that they're not going to be on the ice together all the time because they're both, they both play, have a forward mentality when they're in the offensive zone. And I think that's okay. You don't need to have them on the ice together all the time. I think if you put them together when they're in a situation where you, you need a goal, put them together. That makes the most sense to me. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what the Shelton team is going to do. So what what do you think uh, the Leafs lines should look like with Keith moving forward? Because I'm looking at the lines right now. I'll just run you by what I think. Um, I mean, I, I'd keep the first line untouched. I, yeah. I, that, that first line has been golden. Um, once Marner gets in, I'd keep McCann there right now. But once Marner gets in, keep that. But um, I think, I think, I th- I would try um, Hyman, maybe maybe slow him down, maybe give Mikheyev a, a chance on the second line. I think Keith is open to trying out different things, even once Marner slots in. It's it's a little experimental, I know, but um, Kerfoot was interesting on the wing. And, I think um, he's more natural. He's more comfortable on the wing. Yeah, he's he's it's very natural, and I think uh, I I would play him out. Um, it looks like I mean Jason Spezza has been looking good, so I'd keep that. But um, of course once um, Marner slots in, yeah, um, I would. It's it, it's tough because um, Spezza Spezza played great on the third line. He did. Um, but once Marner gets back in, um, Mikheyev moves down. But where does Kapanen go? I would not play Kapanen on the fourth line. No. Uh, you're not getting your value out of him. Um, and that would kind of essentially push Kerfoot back into the middle there, and it's tough um, because I really do like Kerfoot on the uh, on the wing, so so it's definitely tough uh, what they're gonna do. Maybe um, I don't know. Kapanen could obviously be uh, kind of the extra man there right now, he kind could. of floating on the third and fourth line right now. And what about Trevor Moore when he comes back? Because that's Again, another yeah, player. And that's to keep in mind. The bottom six is very loaded, and um, I think the Leafs could look at that. But, again, the fact that I think the, the key piece here is Mikheyev, who's looking like he's very versatile, and that's something that, that's going to go down. I, I, like I said, even when Marner comes back, I would even even try. It's experimental, but try Mikheyev on uh, that second line. You never know. Um, and then uh, the de- defensive pairings, I, would, I, I liked how you said it, but I would definitely keep Riley and Barry together for a bit because I think it – it, it, it's getting Barry to get make that click his confidence and and everything is starting to click um I don't think it's sustainable but you know one thing I would do is continue looking to get rid of Cody CC yeah that's the the big uh, question somehow for and, fans still um Rasmus Sandin I think Keith loves him and I really do think he has a spot on the Leafs still and I think they will bring him up. I, I think they should bring him up. I really do think they bring sh- should bring him up. And I think they could, he would slot in well. Um, I mean, once once the Leafs get Cody CC out, somehow, somehow they can slot um, Rasmus Sandin in. I will say this though, if you noticed during last night's game, yes, CC made mistakes, but the guy looked so comfortable jumping mm-hmm. up into the play, moving yep. the puck uh, like from uh, from the from the from zone end to start a breakout. And he was like going deep into the zone and trying to make set up plays offensively. Mm-hmm. Like when even that guy who people will say has been the most frustrating player to watch uh, all season long, that says something about uh, Keefe's uh, ability to get the most out of his players. I'm not saying that CC is going to turn into a Norris Trophy winning mm-hmm. defenseman by season's end because that's not going to happen. But that's uh, something that I'm really excited to watch going forward. What c- comes of CC throughout the season, or if he even s- finishes the season as a Toronto Maple Leaf. Cody, That's my question yeah. for you. Cody CC, 
Uh, what what is what is the question? Basically, where do I see Cody CC? What do you do you think the Leafs are gonna try and get the most out of Cody CC, or do you think they're gonna try and get rid of him the first chance they can? Here's how I look at it. Um, Cody CC is the odd man out right now. Um, you can't really get you can't like send him down in liners. You you can't really do anything with that huge contract weighing you down unless except get rid of it. And I think he's the odd man out. As in, you know, I'd I'd rather have um, Justin Hall. I'd rather have Rasmus Sandin over him, but he's gonna fit in there because he's making what? What was the contract? Four point five. Yeah, four point five million for the rest of the year. Um, that's a very difficult uh, contract to get rid of. Maybe I think uh, I don't know the exact. I need to check cap friendly after, but um, I think the senders are very close. Are very close to the floor. Um, maybe send him there just so they can. You know, I mean, we'd have to entice them with the. Leafs would have to entice them with the uh, like a pick or something. But if the Leafs could get that extra man out somehow, they can slot in Sandin, who I I think I would I would definitely prefer Rasmus Sandin there. But I think again it goes back to your question where you said first opportunity. Yes, I would take the first opportunity because we uh, because the Leafs have like they have a player who can slot in mm-hmm. instead. But I think they just have to ride it out if that opportunity doesn't come up. I think even though like they, they if they don't even trade him, uh, I think you can get you something out of him. Yeah, he can be. He he's can not. Be he's not a pylon. He's he's uh, he he's useful. He's not. He's he's inconsistent. Very inconsistent. I think that's the best um, way to describe that's him. That's the we- best way to describe him. Um, and uh, you know you'd rather not have him in there, but he's useful. Um, if 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 you have to play him, you have to play him. Exactly. And I think there's one more thing that CC can become it's uh potentially if you get him comfortable in a position where he can succeed which is most likely to me the bot- the bottom pairing then yes that's a lot of money that you tied into him for the season but you can say hey it's not the worst contract we've given a defenseman mm-hmm. and i think there's really one more uh question that keeps going to be getting a lot of and that's going to be the back-to-backs and that's something oh, yeah. that uh, we've been talking about. That's for... been that's been the question of that's been the topic of the Maple Leaf season so far. Not just this season, but for seasons now. For sure, but it seems like the Leafs are always plagued with the most. The most back to backs are always having that tough schedule. But back to backs are something that um, you know uh, teams have to deal with. And and yeah, Babcock has philosophy behind that. Um, I, I I wonder what Keefe's is. I don't even know if he has one in place. And I don't know how he's going to work with Kyle Dubas to kind of figure that out. If they are, um, again, there were reports a couple weeks ago that the Leafs were shopping uh, for a backup goaltender. And I don't know if those uh, talks have continued, if the, if the Leafs are still shopping. But um, I, uh, it would have to either be, you know, Dubas's decision whether he wants to upgrade or um, just Keefe's decision on what he wants to do for those back-to-backs and the times when he has to play uh, his backup. I think uh, we're going to be seeing uh, situations uh, in back-to-backs where Keith plays the goalie that would be the most comfortable in the situation based on uh, who ba- the opponent based is, on the uh, opponent. Uh, what, how they, what happened for them the previous game, uh, like who at least are going to be playing the next night, uh, if there's travel involved. I think so too. I, think, I actually think Keith in the end will do whatever like you said based on the opponent whatever makes the most sense if it's a top team you go freddy 
if it's a you know a team that you think that the Leafs can still um, defeat even with your backup in net, like you know bottom of the barrel team, um, you put you put the uh, backup in. Yeah, that gives the backup goalie confidence. Uh, that gives them trust that hey, you don't just uh, like go only go to him be- because oh we just we just played the night before we need to play somebody. And I know the Leafs' uh, current backup is Casksu. Uh, yeah, but I'm referring to them as him as the backup because I feel like there's still a big question mark over that role right now on the Toronto Maple Leafs and whether they're still shopping. Uh, for a backup or not. Do you think Kaskasu is going to be the backup? Like, if they don't make a trade, do you think the backup goalie is going to be Kaskasu or is Hutchinson going to come back? We haven't even seen what uh, Kaskasu could do yet. Um, last week you said you'd give him five games. Yeah. We haven't even seen that yet, so I can't even answer that yet. We fair don't enough, know. Enough. We don't know yet. But I, the, if, if deadline comes and they haven't acquired a backup goaltender... They're just going to go with whoever has gotten more wins, I feel like. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I, th- I think um, I think whoever has the more success uh, down the stretch is going to ha- lock the backup uh, goalie job. I think Haskell gets the benefit of the doubt because he's younger than Hutchinson mm-hmm. and has more room to grow. But uh, but I, I, I think they would probably go for a trade if they could. I think they'll go for I think they're continuing to shop. We don't know. Um, But I, I definitely think that's pretty high on their I think it's pretty much number one on their shopping list right now and it's really the only thing they can do because they're basically tight up to the ceiling mm-hmm. with us uh, money tied up in the money tied floor. up um, like I said they're uh, you know top six and bottom six bottom six even like we said is overflowing right now top six is kind of um, already secured and, and, and just question marks and a, li- a few question marks in their defensive core but that's pretty much it Maybe they get to make a trade for uh, a fringe defenseman because they need somebody in case of an injury. But th- that's yep. about it. I don't see any forward trades being happening. I don't really think a backup goalie trade happens unless it's the right fit and comes at the right cost. Mm-hmm. And other than that, uh, I don't expect the Leafs to make any big moves. Yep. Um. So with that, we'll move on to the other hockey news. Of course. Uh, other things in hockey right now. It's more than just the Leafs. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's more than just the Leafs. Um, you mentioned this before we started the podcast, and we'll, we'll, we'll start with this. The Islanders. I feel like we've talked about the Islanders a bunch, but now I think we're starting to see that they are the real deal. A couple weeks ago we were talking about whether or not they're the real deal, and I don't know if you still think that's still a question, but I, I do think they're the real deal now. They're, they're holding it up. I will say this. I'm impressed with how they've been playing under Barry Trotz, and I think that they've bought into a system of a defensive first mentality of uh, playing well in front of your own goalie and then getting offense when you need to. And he came at the right time. When uh, your franchise player goes somewhere else, that could be very demoralizing, Mm -hmm. but inspired them to play... A different type of hockey and they they uh definitely bought into that mentality like i said and they've been very successful ever since and kudos to barry trotz for uh fig- pushing all the right buttons and kudos to lou lemorel for figuring out that he was the right guy for the job because mm-hmm, apparently they don't need Tavares. yes not they guess not but they have definitely i really do think it's all about buying that system and um yeah they they, they really found success and, and and it's consistent and we've seen it last year People people wanted to see if it's uh, if that was a fluke season, but I don't think so. 
you know, um, they, they, they seem very consistent. They play very consistently. I think that's the big, the big thing. And, um, I, I really don't have any other comments other than the fact that, yeah, I think they're real. And I think, um, I think it's good. I think it's good that they, they bounce back from losing John Tavares like that. Yeah. And I think that, uh, if this season is any indication, they're going to be a, a big force in the metropolitan division for, uh, the next uh, few years mm-hmm. because they have, it's not just that they have a really strong uh, defensive system that they feed off of. A lot of their best players are still relatively young. Of course, Matt Barzell is the, 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 face the, the face of the franchise right now. Of course, but they also have some really nice uh, pieces on their back end. Uh, Ryan Pulak is probably one of the most underappreciated defensemen in the NHL right now, and I can't remember his age, but he's somebody that uh, most teams would kill to have. For sure, for sure. Um, their young guys are really stepping up. That's one thing. Uh, like, uh, even Bovillier is playing very, very well. Um, it's just, I, I feel like they're getting, they're finding help and finding success from pretty much every every unit. And that's what, they just they just work as one big unit. That's what's most important. It's it's, it's very well coached. This They've bought into the system. Um, they just, they just, they just look, very consistent they, they they work as a team i think that's probably the most uh dangerous uh team you can face when your opponent is playing like a team then that uh that's scary mm-hmm. and at least that's not to, to disrespect because other systems can work where you have one line that's basically the hearts the heartbeat of your team and they're basically carrying you, you to victory but uh and we're seeing that we're seeing that with like the oilers of course but it still works whatever gets gets you wins but um i do think when you're looking at sustainability, the Islanders as a consistent unit of a team is 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 scarier. You know what's scarier than that? The Calgary Flames. That was a good transition, but <laughs> for sure, the, the the Flames have been uh, not what people expected them to be. It's the exact opposite of the Islanders. Did we say in the how how many point games they've had a point in the Islanders? No, uh, I think it was what. 15 or 16 and that's a franchise record whereas the calgary flames are currently in a six game losing streak and they have not been in the lead for over 300 plus 50 plus minutes and that's a franchise record and what do you think uh what do you think calgary should do where where do you where do you see their future because they they're in a tricky spot even last year last season i thought um i didn't think it was a fluke season but i i was I think everyone was very surprised with the success they found. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's all about sustainability. I, I didn't think that they would be sustainable, and I didn't think that they would collapse this quickly, though. Um, what do you think is what do you think is the issue there? I think it's really mental. I think for a lot of with a lot of teams, they're uh, when they struggle, it's usually something going on between mm-hmm. the between the ears. We saw that with the Leafs too. Yep. And uh, when you're when you're behind all the time, uh, like the Leafs were, uh, they really really want to score even, that goal that gets you in front. And I won't even say like the Leafs were. Like, let's face it, the Leafs are still technically in that kind of uh, that kind of scenario. But uh, there's hope. There's hope with the, this coaching change. I think from what I'm hearing, the Calgary Flames uh, last season were having a lot of success because of their goaltending. And this season, they're not getting any of it. I think a lot, a lot, big part of it is because they lost Mike Smith to free agency, and I believe they have Cam Talbot now in his place, and DJ uh, David Riddick. 
as the other goalie. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a goaltending duo that's going to get you success when they're not playing at you their know, best. When they swapped Mike Smith over to Edmonton and they got um they they got uh Talbot, right? Yeah, yeah, Talbot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um see because I mean, you know Mike Smith has been, he's been making noise in Calgary. I mean in in Edmonton, but you can't say that the success was found on the other end though. Mm-hmm. And I, I I had a big question mark on that because I mean I mean you can see why they did it, but you can also see like Mike Smith is a pretty successful goaltender. He brings success with him. And I thought that he was uh, a pretty big piece for the Flames. A a pretty big key to their success. So I mean now he's playing I mean, we know the Oilers are successful and uh a, a big part of his because of him um but it, it was it was i think i see that as a very big thing that kind of drove them from the beginning that kind of it, it's kind of started the demise mm-hmm. yeah and the same thing goes when uh combined with a goal tenning's uh goalie's not making any saves yeah, and just like when, when your stars are not producing which for the flames they have one of the best wingers in Johnny Goudreau, one of the m- more underrated centers in uh, Sean Monaghan, uh, Matthew Kachuk, uh, a few other nice pieces Kachuk. back there. Kachuk is, um, I've seen his name be thrown around um, as a potential trade piece um, a lot by fans, again, but uh, I, could, I would not I could, move him. I would, I would not move him either. I could see, though, that fans want change. They, I mean, I, who doesn't want change? The least fans... Everyone wanted change here in Toronto, um, but I wouldn't move to Kachuk. But it's just it's interesting to see, um, kind of the state of frenzy that the Flames are in right now. And a lot of people are calling for uh, Bill Peters' head. And what he's this is only his second season on the team, and they already want him out of here. I think the only thing you can really do is just stick with it because I don't know the the Flames' cap situation, but I don't think they can really make a big move. There's not many goalies that they can acquire via trade. And if they move Matthew Kachuk, that's going to be a huge hole that they're going to get rid of for no reason other than they want to make a change for the sake of it. I feel like that's a knee-jerk reaction kind of move if that's the case. I think this team is way better than what the record shows, and we saw that last year. And I think they just they just need that first. They need that win. I think winning cures all uh, all wounds in in sports, and hockey especially. And, for sure. And I think that if they get that win, it'll go a long way. For sure. So we will be wrapping up soon, um, but we'll talk about basketball next, and then we'll wrap up. Yeah. Um, the Toronto Raptors, of course, that's the main team that we talk about here, but um, they've been playing very well. They've been playing very, very well. Um, and what's interesting is, you know what? We'll, we'll get to Chris Boucher after, but I want to propose this question to you. The Raptors have been playing so well, and would you consider the core, the new core, or the core right now, Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam? I would definitely say that that is going to be the future of the Raptors. Do you think it's the core right now, though? I don't... I'm not fully sold on it because there's still a lot of veteran presence on the team with Lowry, uh, Ibaka, and Gasol. And I think that uh, until they're all gone, it's not fully Siakam and fan fleets team just yet and here's here's what i'm alluding to right now obviously baka and lowry are out and we are seeing the toronto raptors have success a lot of success with a core 
let's let's use the word core here mm-hmm. being led by um Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam and uh it brings me to the question of course we always hear are the should the Raptors flip Lowry you know um while he's still on a contract well obviously you just signed a one-year contract so you if you are going to trade him you can't just can't just wait it out but um you know get something he's most likely going to walk or the Raptors are most likely going to let him walk so they can free up cap space but um do you do you get something out of him but do you think that is a, t- a discussion we have right now because we can see that Fred VanVleet and Pascal Siakam are successful I think it's similar to last season when Kawhi was not in the lineup whether it would be because of rest or maybe he was hurt just because you can play well without your key players doesn't mean you have to trade them because with Kyle Lowry I feel like he is the heartbeat of his team. He's been here for so long, and he is basically the veteran presence for a lot of the young guys in the locker room. And because he won a championship, because he's uh, been, uh, he went through it all from uh, when he started in what was it 2012 mm-hmm. to where he is now, I think I would not trade him for the sake of trading him. And I also think of it this way. Are you ready? Are you comfortable giving Fred Van Fleet starting minutes on, as a point guard and putting Lowry on the bench? Mm-hmm. I mean, currently, uh, currently, I'm, I'm I don't. Currently, here it's a it's a unique situation. I, I like how you brought up the Kawhi situation last season, but it's a different situation because we know the the we 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 kind of know the ultimate um, future for Lowry, and and that's. Uh, Pretty much, there's a there's a huge possibility that he's not going to be with the Toronto Raptors. Most likely, it's actually very likely that he won't be with the Toronto Raptors. Um, we know that this is becoming their team. So, I mean, what do you want success this season, or do you want to start building for the future now? You know, and by building for the future now, you want to give the keys to the young guys. And um, it's interesting because yeah, like last season, you knew Kawhi is going to come back. It's still his team. It, I, I don't feel like it's still Lowry's team because you know he's only on another one-year contract. You know, it's, it, is it really his team still? I don't feel like it's still his team, and maybe it, it maybe that's where my opinion kind of differs from yours a little. Um, and that's fine. I wouldn't, yeah, of course, and I wouldn't say that I would give them the keys right now, or like I wouldn't say that, I, I'm not saying that we should trade him. Uh, I think the Toronto Raptors should actually keep him. I'll get that. I'll get to that in a second, but I do think it's time to start thinking of the core as um, Van Vliet and Siakam already now, because you know that it's just it goes back to the kind of the idea that I don't think it's necessarily Lowry's team anymore, because you know he's not. He's potentially not going to be here, and and people, everyone's kind of accepted that. I'd, I'd say that some people would agree with you on that, but at the same time, don't you want to see Lowry finish this thing through all the way to the end? Hundred percent. That's that's the, the point I wanted to get to. I said I'd talk about after. I want the Toronto Raptors to have a player play out his career with this team. They haven't had that yet. They haven't raised a banner yet, and I think tr- Kyle Lowry should be that player. Mm-hmm. Um, he's making what thirty million right now. Um, especially with that new contract, um, we the the Raptors need money for Giannis. That comes first. I think that's the priority. If if Lowry's 
if Lowry wants a cheap contract with the Toronto Raptors that he can play out as a veteran um, till the till the very end of his career, I would love that. Come off the bench. Give the keys to Van Vliet and Siakam. Come off the bench. Um, don't ask for too much money. You know, I don't even know if there's going to be... What do you think? Do you think there's going to be a, a, a big market for him if he does hit free agency? I think it just really depends on how many teams need a point guard and if said teams are comfortable getting a veteran point guard because here's the thing Lowry has looked great at times this season and especially during the playoffs he definitely he's he's getting older yeah he's He's definitely getting older older. let's not kid ourselves uh father time is undefeated but at the same time Lowry still has a game Lowry can still uh can still perform and yeah he's not going to uh dominate the game like he used to let's not kid ourselves his his prime time is coming to an end but at the same time he can still play and i think for some teams that need a point guard that can be very useful especially for a young team that's trying to uh, develop their young their young guns to become uh, contenders one day that would be the kind of team that i could also see wanting a guy like lowry I don't know. I think there's definitely a market for Lowry, but I think if you're the Raptors, I would love I would love to see him, you know, as a Raptor till the very end. Exactly. Yeah, you don't just uh, make a knee jerk reaction just because mm-hmm. oh you want to get the keys to the to Van Fleet and Siakam right away. Again, yeah, but I think what it does is I think we're establishing the fact that I think they are ready. I think they are ready, and I think what Masai has to do is start having that conversation with Lowry now about what's his next move. Do you want to stay in Toronto? Do you want to test the free agency market? Are you okay with testing the free agency market? Or are you okay with being with coming off the bench potentially in the next couple of years? And that's obviously a big thing. You know, veteran players don't want to come off the bench. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I do think that, I think you're starting to give the keys to Fred Van Vliet. You're giving it to him as the starting point guard. But, you know, Lowry's there. It all depends on is is he okay with those keys being given to Fred VanVleet as well? Listen, if Ibaka can be more than comfortable coming off the bench during the playoffs, I think Lowry can accept a, mm-hmm. a lesser role in Toronto. Mm-hmm. But it just it really all comes down to him if, that, if, if that's what he wants. And again, I think that's the conversation they should... I think they, that's something they should start having soon because if Masai does want to flip Lowry, he needs to, he needs to have those intentions clear. Let me ask you this question, uh, since we're just talking about uh, veteran players and what their next uh, destination could potentially be. Between him, Gasol, and Ibaka, which player do you see going first? Gasol. Really? Yeah, you don't? I think Ibaka. You think Ibaka? I Um, think because he's like a a player that um, his value has definitely gone down a little bit since he's come to Toronto. And that's not to say that he's a bad player, but... um, I think he's kind of he's probably the first one you move. For me, it's um, I believe Gas- how old is Gasol? I believe he's the oldest one of out of the three for one. Well, let me just double check that because I definitely want to make sure I get it correct. He's definitely he's the oldest. He is thirty four. He is the oldest, so I think that that adds a layer to it. But he has not been looking that great this season. I think he, we are starting to see the kind of degrad the the kind of you know, he's going down that downward slope right now. And um, he played great in the playoffs. And his defensive game is definitely where he thrives best. But I think his offensive game is, is, is taking 
a turn for for the worse right now and um he definitely has value he he has value to a playoff team a, a a contending team that's what the toronto raptors were last season that's why they picked him up and i think again we we i'm still sticking by i don't think the toronto raptors are championship contenders this uh season i think they'll i think they could go far in the playoffs farther than we originally um had expected but i think ultimately you make that decision you know the the raptors don't look like they can you know repeat and you get something uh, out of Gasol before before you can't. And I think a team that, you know, is looking to beef up their defense, mm-hmm. a team that could go to the finals, either in the West or in the East, um, I think you make that move. And I think that's why he stands out. I don't think any other – I don't think Ibaka or Lowry is – I don't think either of them are in that same similar situation where they have to be moved right now or where they're – really needed in that way for maybe again Gasol is needed for his defense he's lacking in offense right now but his defense is definitely what people want mm-hmm. and um I still think there's time on Lowry and Ibaka fair enough fair enough what about you um I only say Ibaka just because I think out of all those three players like uh I think there's still a team that could use a guy like Ibaka just like for Lowry I think Lowry, you would hold on to him just because he's been here the longest, and you give him, he has that... Uh... Ibaka can still ball. Yeah, so... he can still ball, and I think that because he can still play, I think you can actually net a quality return That's true. if you want to move him. And and I think out of all those three guys, he'd be the one player that I'd consider trading because if you want to get younger, even younger than you, they currently are, that'd be the guy that I how, would go Yeah, how I'm seeing is like Gasol would be that rental piece that you want to move out. Ibaka would be a piece that a t- uh, I think a lot more teams would want him than, like I said, contending teams should be targeting Gasol. But for Ibaka, more teams can target him, and I just feel like uh, he's a piece you want to hold on to if you do acquire him rather than a rental. Fair enough, yeah. I, I feel like uh, it's it's really up to the Raptors what their needs are uh, going down the stretch. I think Ibaka will probably go just before, like during the off season. I feel like that's that's why I feel like he's going to go first, like via train before his contract rights are uh, expired. Mm-hmm. But it, anything can change. I'm not. I'm open to uh, anything. And um, uh, we have to wrap this up. But la- last question really is, uh, what are your thoughts on Chris Boucher? He's been playing. Shout very out to well. the goats. Shout the out Raptor. to him. I I've been very impressed. I I think he's. Uh, definitely stepped up his game i did not did not i i knew he was going to definitely get a bit better opportunity this year compared to last Ceil- year ceiling is high for him g league mvp um i i kind of look at him as kind of like uh having a you know i wouldn't even say like a high ceiling but more like a an unknown ceiling like like siakam kind of had because siakam started so late into his career you can't really judge his ceiling as the same as everyone else yeah but i think boucher is Maybe they had a ceiling for him, but he's been able to break that. You know, he wasn't even going to be like a G League player, but he became the G League MVP. Um, and and just knowing that, his potential just maximizes tenfold from that. And he's uh, he really helps the Raptors' future plans because they have now have even more options to work with uh, how they want to view the team going forward. Like, you have a guy like that who's balling, and people are... Yes, they're surprised, but I feel like if you've been following the Raptors 905 and the job that they've been doing in turning uh, 
unknown prospects into quality NBA players. That's a testament to that. And he's the, the just the latest example. And we're probably going to be seeing more guys like uh, Deshaun Hernandez. And who's that other guy? M- M- Miller? Who, oh, yeah. Yeah, those are two guys that could potentially be the next uh, wave of uh, players. That, Raptors, uh, Raptors have the best development uh, in the league. And, uh, yeah, just, just trust in Masai. I'm really surprised that uh, not a lot of NBA teams really use the G League the way that the Raptors do. It's pretty unprecedented. Yeah. And I think the more success stories we see coming from the 9-5 to the Raptors, the more I think other teams are going to start to pay attention. And shout out to Chris Boucher for putting, uh, I mean, Canada's already on the map, but having a Canadian Raptor that's balling right now is big. It's huge. I can't wait to see what it's huge you can for do. Canada basketball. And shout out to Andrew Wiggins for uh, playing great this season. Uh, on the on the on the topic of Canada basketball, shout out to him. I think he looked great in a Raptors uniform. Don't you agree? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, I mean, uh, I actually shot for uh, Andrew Wiggins this summer at his uh, camp. He's he's the nicest guy ever. Super super great guy. He's so he's he's so he's all class. I hope he can uh, definitely continue to have success because he, he, he's he's successful need, right now. We need more ca- successful Canadians in the NBA for sure. And he is playing. Honestly, he's playing pretty much at, at an all-star pace if he keeps this up. Um, this is this is a season to shine again because we he he he's been he's been great at the beginning of his uh at, at the beginning of his career. He's kind of you know his uh kind of had some off seasons, but I think uh, he's he's still super young. So I don't know why people are getting down on him. He's so young. He's still only twenty-four, and uh, again, this is the season I think where he regains his dominance. I think this was such an awesome episode. So thank you guys for listening. Thank uh, you so much. Uh, we are on um, Apple Podcasts now. So you can uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts. Hopefully that's a, a lot easier. We're working to get it on Spotify. And uh, big things coming. There are a lot of big things coming. So uh, subscribe. I'll just sit, put it this way. The next few episodes are very exciting. And we're really looking forward to recording them. Let's let's hope everything goes as planned. But yeah. There's there's a lot of big things uh, on the way on, in the next few episodes. So let's uh, give our social medias and we'll we'll, we'll go on yep. out of here. So uh, again, you can follow me at on on Twitter at Matt underscore Rodrigo uh, underscore. There's two underscores. Just remember that. You can follow me on Twitter at the Leafs IMO, and you can catch my work at Maple Leafs Hot Stove. The the handle their Twitter handle is at Leafs News. A uh, lot, lots of gifts. Uh, the, the next mm, coming he's days. He's great at gifting. <laughs> well, you're you're a good gifter too now. I mean, hey, he, uh, Michael taught me how to gif, and I, I've been dabbling with uh, the Raptors, and 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 one of them actually got kind of big, uh, big in my big in my sense. I think it was the Fred Van Fleet one. It right? was the Van Fleet one. Shout out to uh, and one and one basketball. He's the face of and one, and now he's pulling out those three moves. So we'll leave it at that. All right, guys, We this was a great episode. Thank, Thank you, you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Next week. See you guys.